Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. I'm just so happy you've hit play and have chosen to join me for another discussion about the Camino de Santiago. That music you just heard is part of a wonderful new performance in the United States, and I'll explain it all at the end of the podcast. But before we begin this week, I want to say a very special thank you to my Patreon sponsors who help keep the podcast alive, and I'm most grateful. Two of my long-time sponsors, Brian Danker and Carl Sticklemeyer, travelled all the way from the United States to join me in Canada just two weeks ago. I'm most grateful, gentlemen. And if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, simply go to patreon.com forward slash Mullins. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you find yourself on the Camino, you'll be greeted by other pilgrims with the blessing Buen Camino, which translates from Spanish as Good Way. You're walking the way of St. James, Camino de Santiago. One of the things that struck me on my recent tour of Canada was the fellowship of pilgrims before and after the events. Donald C. Peaty, the American botanist, naturalist and author said, A word, a smile and the stranger at your elbow may become an interesting friend. All through life we deny ourselves stimulating fellowship because we are too proud or too afraid to unbend. And it struck me when I read that quote, the pilgrims the world over have stepped outside their comfort zone, their accepted and devoted lives, and decided to walk, to become a pilgrim. And one of the overwhelming sentiments of my latest talks and performances in Canada was family. And I remember an old saying, when mum's laughing, you could get away with murder. It's true. Laughter brings us together. Laughter is fellowship. And there was much laughter, much love and much fellowship wherever I went these last few weeks. A walk among pilgrims. St. James was one of Christ's apostles. He was the inspiration for Spanish troops in their battles with the Moors. His guidance and blessing led to him being appointed as patron saint of Spain, Santiago. And the city where his remains are interred is Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. The Camino, or Caminos, wind through the Spanish or wider European countryside and you take in the culture in small bites. You can smell the culture, taste the culture. You can hear the people living their lives as they have for centuries. As you, as a pilgrim, wind your way through their culture as pilgrims have done for centuries before you. You're now part of the culture. You're now part of a growing fellowship of pilgrims around the world. The people you meet will inspire you to be a better you, a warmer greeting from you, and a word, a smile, and the stranger at your elbow may become an interesting friend. All through life, we deny ourselves stimulating fellowship because we are too proud or too afraid to unbend. So it's time to unbend. My friend Mariana wrote to me via my website a few weeks back. She suggested I interview a fellow Australian pilgrim who had only recently completed the Camino. His name is Murray Walton. He's on the line. Welcome, pilgrim. Dan, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So when and why did you decide you needed to unbend? Oh, that's a that's a big question. Um I could tell you that I recently uh, completed the Camino uh, from September and October of this year, um, but I think I think a while ago is uh, I decided that I really wanted to do it maybe five years ago, and I've never really had the opportunity until this year after COVID uh, had been and gone, and 
yeah, it was just something that I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to complete one day. Where did you hear about the Camino? Uh, that's a that's a good question too, Dan. It's, uh, I'm actually a, a tradie. I, I run my own painting business and I usually work solo a lot of the time. But every now and then I team up with another guy by the name of Roy who's a, a handyman and he kept talking to me about this movie, The Way, that it's his favourite movie of all time and gave me the DVD and it kind of sat on my bookshelf for about two years and never really interested me until one night uh, – I decided to put it on and, and I just was mesmerised by this walk and it was the start of something for me that intrigued and I decided to do some research and came across this podcast called My Camino, the podcast mm-hmm. with this Australian guy that uh, <laughs> seemed to have all the answers and, uh, yeah, I listened to every episode and was just so intrigued by it and thought one day I must do it. Oh, wow, that's really kind of you. How lovely. So what was the, the impetus or the, the, the trigger moment, that light bulb moment that you thought, okay, now's the time, I'm off, I'm doing it? I think to be able to answer that, I'll just give you a little bit of background about myself. Is uh, Look, I'm 43 years of age and I have uh, two adult children, they're 18 and 21. But I actually fell in love when I was about 15 and married my high school sweetheart and mm. had a fantastic life together. But about uh, eight years ago, she she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, oh. and and basically for for nearly three three and a half years, we we walked the journey together as a family, and and my eyes were open to a whole another world of of uh, healthcare and and chemotherapy. And but the end of a long story was she sadly she passed away, and I was left uh, with with two teenage children at the time, and I was never meant to do that journey on my own. And uh, there were a few things that got me through that season, and and one were definitely close family and friends. Um, The other is I'm I'm not a religious person uh, in any way, but I would say that I have a relationship with with God. In fact, I actually lead a a church for uni students and young professionals in, in Canberra City, uh, as well as running a business. But the other thing that kind of got me through that season uh, when my wife was sick and I had to care for her and then afterwards and trying to juggle being a, a single father and, and grieving was my time was walking. I just mm. had to get out of the house and I live in Canberra, so I'd just walk laps around Lake Burley Griffin and I, I can't tell you mm. how many laps that I'd I've done over the years, but I just I find that's my place where I just process life. I I, I get out of whatever situation I'm in, and it's just my freedom place, and it's a place where I actually just talk with God. And that was the thing that that uh, yeah intrigued me about the Camino because uh, I just love walking, <laughs> yeah. and. And I just, my kids finally got through school. Uh, They're now 18 and 21. And I I just kept doing the same routine, getting up, going to work, paying the bills, uh, having a coffee with some friends, going for a walk. And it just struck me one day, now is the perfect opportunity just to drop everything and just get out there and walk the Camino. And I'm so grateful that I did because it's been a life-changing event for me. 
So tell us about the actual walk. Where did you start and how long did you take and and did you enjoy it? Like, was it as good as you thought it was going to be? Was it everything you'd imagined? Look, Dan, um, I did not really have too much expectations. I didn't want to go in there thinking after listening to all your podcasts and watching a million YouTube clips and I just didn't want to go in there with a mindset that I know what I'm in for. I was just open to whatever comes my way, comes my way. And uh, I booked a ticket. I'd never been to Europe before, and I booked a flight to Paris, actually, and spent a few days in Paris and caught the train down to Bayonne and, and transferred all, all the way to uh, to Saint-Jean-Peter-Paul. And that's where it all began. And uh, St. John was actually fully booked out for the night with accommodation the night before, so I had to get off the train uh, one town earlier. And I found myself in this bed and breakfast with a with a young couple, French couple, professional mountain bike rider. It was, it was great. I really connected with them really well. But at night time, I didn't have any food, and he said there's a restaurant on the top of the, this little tiny village, and I just sat there and at this restaurant and all these pilgrims were walking past and I'm looking as the sun go down and hearing the, the animals in the background with the bells and I just thought to myself, where am I? <laughs> I'd never experienced anything like this in my life and wow. it was just the, one of the greatest nights of my life actually because I just felt I was on the, on the brink of of something that was going to be incredible, and and and, and I was correct. Um, yeah, so I started at John uh, John Peter Paul. Uh, did the walk roughly over thirty three days, including a rest day at uh, Lyon, and uh, had incredible weather. And I only rained two days on, on my trip, and yeah, it was just absolutely fantastic. So this pilgrimage of yours really began when you decided that you wanted to, to, to sort of seek this simpler life. But really, as you said, the, the journey for your family began some years ago when your wife was diagnosed. What was it like walking on the Camino, having been through that journey of, of cancer and losing your wife? Yeah, it's a, another great question. Um, look, it's it's been six years since uh, Adele, my late wife, passed away, Dan, so... Um, one thing I've tried to do is just be real with myself and, and real with others. And if I'm having a bad day, I don't pretend I'm, I'm having a great day if people ask. Or if people ask me about where's God in this, I'll say, I don't know, I haven't thought about God for weeks. Um, so I just, I just be real. So, but one of the things I have feel like I've done well is I've grieved well over the years. And and I thought this trip for me was not a process in terms of uh, getting over my past, but it was almost like I feel like I got there, but it was a new season for me to step into. Um, but in the back of my mind was Cruz de Ferro, um, where the pilgrims carry a stone from their home as a representation of, of their burdens to, to lay it at the foot of the cross. And I actually wasn't even going to do that uh it wasn't a religious walk for me whatsoever it was more of a selfish walk for me to just step out to do something once and once for myself mm. which i haven't done anything for myself for a very long time um but adele my late wife in the final weeks and months of her life someone gave her a, a wooden cross and 
she would go to bed at night just clinging to that and I'd wake up, I'd go in in the morning and check on her and often find her still holding onto that cross or it's fallen off to the side of the bed. So I actually decided I'm going to take that cross with me and on that journey I'm just going to process if there's anything, anything else I need to deal with, anything else I need to grieve or, or walk through and and for those who have lost someone, as I know you have gone through similar experiences, Dan, of, of close people that you love, yeah. grief, is a, grief is a beast of a thing and, and it comes on when it wants to come on. And, and I used to fight on, but I kind of learned to ride the wave of, of grief and I feel like my waves were starting to ripple and, and die down over the years. But I took this cross regardless, and as I walked this journey in the back of my mind, I, I, I just knew I was coming to Cruz de Ferro at some stage. So the whole way I'm processing that and thinking, is there anything else I, I need to deal with? And, and it's, funny, it's funny, Dan, that the walk is not just about walking. It's about the people that you meet. It's the, it's the meals that you have. It's the... Mm. coffee con leches in the mornings and the <laughs> conversations that you have and yeah. I, I tell you I don't think I could I don't think I could eat another tortilla I think I've had too many <laughs> in, in, in my lifetime um, but there was this one young French girl um, early on in the start uh, I walked with her for a couple of days and she just had this backpack that was way too big for her um, it looked like about 12, 13 kilograms. She was just this tiny little girl and yeah. I was up over her head and I could tell she was in pain and carrying it. And, and I was just talking to her. I said, why have you got so much stuff in your bag? And she said, I didn't prepare um, properly, but I got way too much stuff. And, and I said, why don't you unpack it and send some through to the final destination so you don't have to carry it anymore? And she said these words to me, Dan, which really just – shifted my thinking from the very beginning of the walk. She said, back in the real world, I take on other people's burdens, whether in work or family or friends, and I carry them. And I realized I do that. And this walk has shown me that because my bag is so heavy. Mm. And I'm refusing to send anything through because I never want to forget what it's like to carry burdens that I don't need to in life anymore. Wow. And it really just stopped me in my tracks and really made me think, what burdens am I carrying that I don't need to carry? And I realized that, that I confuse my burdens with my grief in regards to my children. I carry the burden that they no longer have a mother, that when other kids have, have mums, my kids do not, or um, they've got to go through life you know, without that, that woman in their life anymore. And I realized I took on that burden that was never mine to carry. And it's sad that they've got to do that, but there's nothing I can do to change that, Dan. But yet I still held on to that so tight. And I actually thought it was all a part of grief, but really that walk and that girl just really showed me that this is a burden in life that I have carried for too long. Mm. And as I carried that cross and I laid it at the foot of the cross at uh, Cruz de Ferro, it wasn't a sad day for me. It was actually a day of freedom and a day of release that I let go of the things that I didn't need to carry in life anymore. 
And it just, I can't tell you the freedom and the hope that that put back in my life again, Dan, after carrying it for so many years. And uh, I just walked away from that, this trip, just I feel so free, like a, a new man that these burners that were never mine to carry have finally been let go. One thing that I read of yours from that day when you were at the cruise to Pharaoh, Murray, you say, it was not a sad day today as I sat at the foot of the cross. It was a day of freedom and pride as I let this unnecessary burden go. Freedom I get, but why was it a day of pride? I think it was a day of pride for me, Dan, because it's been a massive journey. Um, obviously, losing uh, the the woman that you were supposed to spend your life with, and it wasn't just a, an order relationship for me. It was like she was the love of my life. She was she yeah. was my world. Yeah. And we created these two wonderful children together. So to sit back years on after knowing everything that we've been through and everything that my children have been through. Uh, my son now, he's, he's in Queensland. He's just completed. He's, he's a professional pilot now of 21 years of age. Wow. He's just, just completed his uh, commercial pilot's license. He's awesome. uh, just just doing a little bit more study. But he's a, he's a fine young man. Um, and I don't say that because he's my son. I actually... I, I look at him and think he, he's well-loved and mm. uh, he, he's, he's good at what he does. He's very thorough. He enjoys life. He's full of joy. And, and likewise with my daughter who's, who's finished school, uh, who in her final years had to go through some horrific pain and yet she's come out on top full of joy and, and full of life. And, and I sit back and I'm full of pride because of where my kids are at. Right. And I'm full of pride that, the foundations that my my wife laid uh, in the early years of my children's life, and and if Adele were here, I think she would be sitting there full of pride herself, and mm. just of where we are as a family, and that we don't. It's obviously tough and challenging, and I, I know many people. Um, I'm a part of a young widows group here in Canberra, and. Every chance I get the opportunity, I, I connect with people that like me that have gone through similar things. But sadly, Dan, a lot of people get get lost and caught up in their pain and their suffering and, and can't break free of it. And I'm just so grateful for God that I felt like he's walked with me every step of the way that I, I feel like it's a new beginning for us. And I'm full of pride that we've made it over the hard, hard yards and mm. excited about the future. Uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Probably, probably yeah. No, no, it, it, it answers it more than adequately. It's, it's a beautiful answer. So how has the life of a pilgrim helped you, do you think? It's a very simple existence. Uh, if, if, if we look at it in its truest sense, you've got a change of clothes and a few toiletries and a couple of bottles of water and that's it. You get up and walk every day and have a cup of coffee, maybe a second breakfast, and then you do it all again the next day. So do you think the life of a pilgrim helped you in that realisation that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I've done pretty well? 100%. Um, and I've got to confess to you, Dan, I was so nervous of uh, – I've never backpacked because I got married young and we never did the travel, but I've never had to share a room with total strangers before. <laughs> and I can't tell you the amount of 
unwanted naked bodies that I saw in some of these, <laughs> some of these uh, albergs and, and, and things like that. But nevertheless, it was such a great experience for me because I got to learn from other pilgrims from all over the world. And it, it is a simple life. It's, you don't need to worry about too much, maybe just your feet, how your feet are in the morning, um, you've got a place to sleep at night, where's your next meal coming from? And it actually forces you into this beautiful rhythm to switch off from your everyday world and things that you think matter really don't. And it actually slows you down, uh, and that's what I loved. And uh, uh, many times you're walking on your own for sometimes hours on ends, and many times you're walking with other people. So it definitely slowed me down. It definitely opened my eyes, and um, I think the biggest impact for me in a pilgrim's life is the people that you speak to because I'm like a sponge, and I ask a lot of mm. questions, and I, I like to hear people's stories and, and, and take in their worldviews, and I learned so much as a pilgrim from other pilgrims. Mm of how to view my life and, and you know, how to do things better and to slow down and to, to be in that moment. And, yeah, I'm very grateful uh, for that as a pilgrim. Did you walk alone, Murray, or did you form part of a family or did you walk in a group? Yeah, look, I stayed at um, Orizon. I think yeah. that's how you pronounce Orison, it. Yeah, yeah. And it was, that was one of the things I picked up on your podcast uh, was a, a lot of people that stayed there, it's such a great alberg to stay because you do a celebration dinner at the start and you stand up and introduce yourself. And and it was almost like you create a family there and then. So I, I in fact, finished with the people that I started with, um, uh, which I met some incredible people. And, uh, yeah, but I, I, I'd walk with them. I usually start the mornings with a lot of people from the – from. Uh, the pilgrim family, but I also love my, my space. So mm. after we have our co- coffee in the morning, we would, uh, I would just take off and be on my own and then we'd meet back up at the, the alberg for dinner at night time. So I had a bit of a combination of both. Often when I talk about pilgrimage on the podcast, we talk about um, intention and a votive intention. So pilgrimage is often conducted or undertaken in consequence of a vow so you said that you walked because you really needed to get out and, and just get some lung, air in your lungs after COVID and, and, and try to explore and, and, and just go on a different experience. But do you think there was a vow? Had you sort of made some sort of intention yourself, do you think? Or was it something that dawned on you as you approached the Cruz de Ferro? Uh, look, I... I do think unconsciously I, I did make a vow, Dan. Mm. Um, look, I think uh, I try and be real uh, and transparent in, in the way I conduct my life. And if I had to be honest, and I'm not pushing this on any anybody, but I, I do have a relationship with, with God. And I had in the back of my mind that I had six weeks. I never thought once I'd be by myself. I knew that I'd be walking with God just as he'd walked through the journey with me in the the past six, seven years. So in the back of my mind, I knew it was going to be a sacred time um, where God could do whatever he wanted to do. In fact, I remember 
I remember the night before in the French village, before I got to St. John, is I actually sat down and I just spoke to God like I'm speaking to you now. And I said, God, I don't know what, what's around the corner the next six weeks, but I will just say to you, there is nothing off limits in my life. Mm. You can do what you want to do. You can say what you want to say. Wow. I just give you opportunity to move. And um, it's, it was a really different experience for me, and I heard God in ways I'd never heard before, and it was usually through people and uh, and comments that were said and and things that touched my life or, you know, brought joy or laughter to yeah. me. But, but but I think that's the answer to your question is, yes, yes, I did, but it was an unconscious thing that I knew that I'd be walking with God as my second pilgrim that was walking the journey with me. Then let me ask you a difficult question then. I've no doubt that while Adele was suffering, you prayed and would yes. have prayed a lot. What did you say to God the day Adele died? How could you, how could you reconcile that, Murray? Yeah, look, that question is asked to me a lot. Um, in fact, the question that comes not long after that is, how can you believe in a God that allows your wife to die? And I've never been able to answer those type of questions. Mm. But, but, but the answer that I do have is I can't deny that God was not with us every step of the way. Sure. Yeah. Uh, wow. I felt his presence. I wow. felt his joy. I felt his peace. Uh, even Adele, uh, she, I remember one time, Dan, I went into the hospital and the nurse was was uh, on her break sitting at her bedside reading a magazine and Adele was sound asleep. And and I just thought that was the most strangest thing ever because those who, who've got to go to hospital know that the nurses are so busy that they haven't got time to do anything, you know, not even have a lunch break sometimes. And I said to the nurse, why are you sitting at the bedside of my wife. And she called me into the corridor and she said, Murray, I'm on my break and I can't explain it, but there's just a presence around your wife that I must be in her presence. There's just a peace and there's a joy that I don't seem to experience anywhere else. And would it be okay on my breaks to sit here with your wife, even if she's asleep? And I said, sure, that's fine. But I was then able to explain to her that, you know, it's got nothing to do with Adele's presence. It's, it's really God in, in Adele's life. And, and that's my answer to people that ask the questions like that is, I can't deny that God wasn't with us every step of the way. He, he was there and uh, he, he cried with us in our pain and he wept with us when we went through the things that we went through, but he also laughed and he had joy. We, we experienced joy in those moments. And so that, that would be my answer. And uh, it's a difficult question to try and articulate, but I just can't deny he wasn't with us every step of the way. Well, you answered it brilliantly. I couldn't have answered or, or anticipated a better answer than that. Oh, thank you. So there's one thing that I'm intrigued by. Uh, you keep using this term tradie, and there's probably people around the world who don't understand what that is. That's a, a, a shortened version of tradesperson. So you're a, you're someone who goes out to fix people's homes, or you paint, or you 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 build, or that's a tradie is something that we only really have in Australia, I think. Sure. Um, so you're out and about all the time. How does a pilgrim 
Or how does the pilgrimage or the Camino uh, bubble to the surface in your life now, day to day? Um, that's a good question too. Um, because I, I am a painter, um, it, like I'm a tradesman, as you, as you said, and a majority of the time now I get a bit fussy of the houses I want to paint. I usually just choose empty houses where no one's there. So I'm constantly on my own by myself. So there's that stillness that I have as a tradie that I also had on the Camino where you could be alone and just have your thoughts or listen to a podcast. So I find myself constantly listening to podcasts, to, to learning. Uh, I listen to Brooklyn Nine-Nine on the Camino. It's a, a comedy show, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. series I absolutely love. So yeah. I listen to that and I have the same principles uh, <laughs> here in Australia. Um, but I also I have to get out every day, Dan. I Rain, hail or shine, regardless of when I'm working, I plan my days around getting outside and exercising and walking and being in nature. So I, I've constantly, in fact, before I even walked the Camino, I started shaping my days and changing the way I lived because I already picked up that culture of what a pilgrim life is like before I even began walking. So I began to shift the way that I did life just based on even even your podcast and hearing people's stories. And that's how I've implemented it into my into my world here. And it's really simplified it and, and, and made it more enjoyable uh, living life. Yeah, it's interesting that for me, that perspective of walking, uh, you just, you keep talking about walking and it's, the, <laughs> it's no, it's, it's true, isn't it? It's been a great solace to you, clearly. It what, has. A, something as simple as walking. It's true, Dan. And, you know, we can get so caught up in the busyness of life and, there's always going to be something that's wanting to grab our attention, whether it's good or bad or someone's wanting something from us. And we've got technology these days and we're getting a million text message emails and everyone wants everything now. And it's so easy to get so intertwined and you think your world is crumbling. And I find that no matter what is going on in my day, the second I step out that door, I turn my phone off, to be honest with you. And wow. I usually leave it in my van. Um, and I just walk. And it's amazing how your perspective in, in life can change just by by stopping what you're doing, switching off from the rest of the world and just walking because I can't tell you the amount of amazing rainbows I've seen. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of, uh, you know, incredible things in nature or, or being caught in a rainstorm. I, I used to run from the rain, but now I embrace it and I – I, if anyone were to see me, like I'm embarrassed to say this, Dan, but I'll put my arms out and I'll dance around and twirl if I'm caught in a, <laughs> That's great. if I'm caught in the rain. So I'm just it's just yeah, it's freedom is yeah. is really what it is to me. You spoke about pride uh, and the cruise to Pharaoh. I think Adele would be very proud of you. Oh, thank you, Dan. I would, I'd hope uh, I would hope that she would be. <laughs> no question about it. What do you make of this week's quote? Donald C. Peaty, the American naturalist and author, said a word, a smile, and the stranger at your elbow may become an interesting friend. All through life, we deny ourselves stimulating fellowship because we are too proud or too afraid to unbend. Do you feel like you've unbended? I do. I do in many ways. And, and I, I've got to attribute that to others 
Um, yeah, I think the more people that I rub shoulders with, the more people I listen to their stories or the way that they do life, I, I'm a big thinker and I, I go home and I think that through because there's always areas in life that we need to adjust and we need to bend to because if we don't bend, we become stuck. And, and I think I used to be a, a solitude guy where I thought I uh, had everything together. I, I had a great house. I had a great family. My kids were happy, healthy. But when everything shifted and everything changed in my life, I realized I had to look outside the walls of my life and my, my kids and ask for help. And by doing that, I've taken on other people's principles and, and I've, I've learned to bend and I've learned to, to be flexible. And I've still got a long way to go. I definitely still got a long way to go and probably people close to me <laughs> would agree with that. Um, but, but I think there's something wonderful in bending mm. and, and, and adjusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, how fantastic. You, you mentioned at the top of the podcast that you're in your early 40s and that your children are 20 and, and 18. You must have yeah. had your children very young. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I think I got married literally only a few weeks into being 20 years of age. And right. No one told me, Dan, how babies are made, so we accidentally had a baby within a few, <laughs> about 12 months of, uh, of, of getting married. So. <laughs> Well, I wish I knew what I know now. <laughs> it's interesting because I was a father at 23. Yes. I was a father at 23 and I was a grandfather at 46. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know all about raising children at a very young age when not a lot of your peers or family members have babies at that age. It can be a challenge. You can be really an outlier. Um, and so, so you and Adele would have been really against it in terms of sort of your family and friends would be thinking, what? I mean, baby's so young. But now, <laughs> of course, you're 43 and your children are all grown up and you can really get to enjoy that with them, can't you? Absolutely, Dan. And that's, uh, you know, I, my even as a father, as you know, and I listened to your two boys speak at your podcast the other mm -hmm, week. and. Yeah. And you must have been so proud. Like, yeah. I was actually proud listening to them. They're fine, fine young men. And, and what a joy that you guys could do that together as a family is all yeah. part of the Camino. Um, so you've done a great job there, Dan. I encourage you with that. And I've learned a lot from, from your journey with them as well. Um, but you never stop parenting. Um, but the way your parent changes, I've learned. And I've had to learn that because – with my, my boy who's now really become a, a young man, but I had to learn how to change the way I couldn't parent him the way I parented my my teenage daughter. Oh, Dan, that was challenging, i, I got to tell you. <laughs> She's a wonderful young lady, but uh, a man was never meant to raise a teenage daughter on his own. So, um, but to be honest with you, my son, I would have That's to say funny. he would be probably one of my best mates to yeah. this day. Yeah. And even though – my parenting has changed. He, he, he rings up for guidance now. He does, I don't have to discipline him in any way. It's just, okay, mate, how can we work through this? And, and it, it's a joy, absolute yeah. joy. And, yeah. and I love it because I'm still quite a young father and, uh, yeah, so I'm still active. I can still do the things that I, I love to do. And, you know, I like to say I'm probably fitter than my son 
And I say that with pride. <laughs> <laughs> that, hey, that is something to be really proud of. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it's funny. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't ever take it for granted. My son Lewis is coming for dinner. He doesn't live with us. He's coming for dinner tonight, and I'm really excited that he's coming for dinner. I can't wait to see him. So I think that's because of the quality of person that he is, and, and I'm yes. just so blessed, so blessed, you so are. blessed. It's just so wonderful. So I always ask a, a handful of sort of standard questions, and if you've listened before, Murray, you'll know, to what to expect. What would you say to someone thinking of walking the Camino? Uh, probably the answer that everybody does say is just do it. Um, I had a friend that wanted to walk the Camino with me. He's been talking about it for years and he just couldn't do it with his work commitments. And uh, I think he really could have done it if he really wanted to. Mm. Um, But it does take a sacrifice and and maybe it was the sacrifice he didn't have that, that luxury of doing at this time in his life, but he'll do it. But I would say just do it make a plan and stick to it and 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 keep going and and if that plan is in 5 years time um keep walking keep listening keep growing uh enjoy the journey i mean it took me 5 years from the decision of me wanting to go to actually getting there and i loved every second of it so yeah just 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 do it yeah, yeah so i i just cast my mind back to the last camino it was a only a couple of months ago now, and I was really struggling one day. It was tough. It was hot and I was uncomfortable and I was thinking, why am I, why am I putting myself through <laughs> this? And then, you know what? I thought, hang on a second. Every moment you're not here, you're wishing you were here. Yeah. What, what do you, what, get that thought out of your head. And straight away I thought, don't be so crazy. This is just the ultimate blessing. And so I quickly shook that thought from my mind and and headed off. And then very early in the morning, leaving Opa Drezzo, uh, walking in the dark um, mm. to try to get to the Pilgrim's Mass in Santiago by midday. And you leave Opa Drezzo and you walk for a good hour, I reckon, through, yeah. through the bush. And it was dark and we didn't have much in terms of headlights or anything like that. We just were using our... Um, our phone uh, torches, so it was pretty pretty dark. But I just remember thinking, this, my wife was there, my two sons were there, our dear friend Claudette. It was magic. Yes. It was just pure magic. And yeah. I thought, oh, no, this is going to end this morning. Oh, <laughs> and, and that's, yeah, so I, I quickly put that out of my mind. Even a bad day on the Camino is better than a good day at home perhaps. Yes. Yeah, but let's not take it for granted anyway. Let's take what? the joy we have at home for granted either. So true. So you, what's one thing you, a tip that you might give someone who's thinking of going, something you learned or something that you found and you thought, I didn't know that before I went and now I'm pleased I do know. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. Um, but I think for me uh, it was a principle that I learned. But I, I did a, I think I walked uh, I walked a 27-kilometre day one day or maybe it might have been 29 kilometres and I got to a town and it was a bigger town on the map and, and I went to a, a pilgrim's place and they didn't have one bed left and I'm sure there were other beds in the place but I decided to just keep walking and I, I'm not one to plan anything, Dan, so I didn't even know where the next town was and I only discovered it was another 13 kilometres no. so – 
I did a 40, 42 kilometer day and I was absolutely exhausted and ended up in this town with about three houses. And uh, I just checked in and I was planning just to go straight to bed because I thought this town has nothing to offer me. This is just a place to rest my, be- uh, my head at night time. And I went into this Alberg and I got there late and I, I was so tired I booked a private room. And I went to bed early, but I heard this music playing downstairs. And uh, I thought, I had that same thought that you were going through, even on your bad days, it's a good day on the Camino. And I thought, I'm on the Camino. Why am I in bed and there's something going on downstairs? So I went down in my pajamas, Dan, and and they were sitting around the table, the pilgrims, and one of this old guy, older guy, uh, had a guitar and started singing and serenading his girlfriend or his wife. And it was just the most incredible night. And I sat next to a, an Italian couple that we just got on so well. And we exchanged details because they wanted to come to Australia, but they didn't have the money to travel. And I've got a camper van. And I, they, I offered my camper van to them. And they said, well, we have a house in Italy in an Italian village, why don't we do a trade? And you have our house for three months in Italy and we borrow your camper van. And here I was in the middle of this rundown town thinking I had nothing to offer, but yet one of the most greatest joys of the entire trip came out of that one night. Oh, of some, and I, I just took that back home and, and I thought to myself, what things have I missed because I've looked at it through the wrong eyes where I think it's got no value, no worth but yet it could be a life-changing moment for me. And that's what I've learned uh, out of the Camino is one of the principles anyways. You know, don't just look at something and sum it up. Don't read a book by its colour because you never know what could come out of it. That's so great, Murray. That is so great. Okay, one last question. Tell us a, <laughs> tell us a Camino story. Okay. Um, i got so many, but I <laughs> this one was really close to my heart is – then I, I just got an iPhone and I've grown up loving photography, so I'm constantly taking photos everywhere. Um, but many of the times I was walking on my own, but there was this older couple that were just the sweetest couple and the man never never left this lady's side, his wife's side. It looked like a long-term marriage, long-term relationship. And I had this bit of a stalker thing in me. I take photos of people without them knowing I'm taking photos because <laughs> I just see a great picture. And I took a photo of this couple walking and it was just beautiful and I, I went up to them to, to give it to them or to send it to them or Bluetooth or whatever it was and they didn't speak a word of English. They were French and uh, we somehow managed to communicate our WhatsApp and I sent that photo to them and they smiled and were so grateful. But the very next day they started sending me one picture a day of their walk, of all the incredible things that they had seen throughout the day. And I've never seen this couple again, but even still they're sending me pictures of their everyday life. Uh, through through WhatsApp, and we haven't spoke a word of English to one another, and they have sent me some of the most incredible moments and and photos, and it was just such a special thing for me. And, uh, yeah, that was just one of my stories on the Camino. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, it's great. Isn't that fantastic? Wow, what a lovely connection. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, I can hear in your voice that there's, there's a levity in your voice. 
and, and for somebody who's been through what you have been through, that to me is, is a miracle in itself, Murray. Oh, thank you, Dan. Uh, appreciate I re- your kind words. I really mean it. Uh, through the course of the interview, I just I clicked on your Facebook page and I saw a picture of Adele. Right, okay. That's so heartbreaking, but here you are soldiering on. She would be so proud of you and so, I'm sure, proud and, and in madly in love with this crazy pilgrim. <laughs> How fantastic. It's just yeah. so, so wonderful. I, I, I can say congratulations on your dedication and I can say congratulations on your pilgrimage and, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for being so open and, and so sharing. And, but you know what? That doesn't mean anything really unless you're prepared to say thank you to yourself. And I'm sure now having spoken to you that you are, and that's just such a blessing, such a blessing. That's what I'm so pleased to be able to share with, with you and, and my listeners. So thank you, Murray. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Buen Camino. Buen Camino to you too. Thank you so much. Well, what about that? My guest this week was the Australian pilgrim Murray Walton. The music you heard throughout the podcast is the Oregon Repertory Singers. Last month, the group, with their artistic director and conductor Ethan Sperry, presented this incredibly groundbreaking choral work by Joby Talbot, and it's called Path of Miracles. So it's a choral piece written about the Camino de Santiago. So the Oregon Repertory Singers, they performed it uh, just a handful of times in October. Um, Have a look for it on the internet. Uh, So it's called Path of Miracles, and it's the Oregon Repertory Singers. And my friend Teresa Okamoto sent me the link. Thanks, Teresa. It's unbelievable. I just found a little bit of Camino magic and couldn't believe my luck. It's just so beautiful. So remember my quote this week from Donald C. Peaty, the American botanist, naturalist, and author, a word, a smile, and the stranger at your elbow may become an interesting friend. All through life, we deny ourselves stimulating fellowship because we are too proud or too afraid to unbend. Thanks for your company this week. And thanks as well to my Patreon sponsors for helping keep the podcast alive. You can sponsor me by visiting patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. Let's hear some more of the wonderful Oregon repertory singers. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Yeah.